question is this. How do we get two groups of people to come together? Those that are completely disengaged with what I call their personal physical health status and those people who are in love with their physical health status and doing something about it. How do we bring them together so that everybody fits into the second category of falling in love with their physical health, lowering their risk of disease and feeling amazing? We're going to find out in today's episode of the new science of physical health. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 146 here at the Daily Drop of the new science of physical health. You know, I often, it's a strange, it's not really strange, but it kind of is. I often go out places, like today for example. Well, I had to go over, um, we have my wife's mother, 89 year old mother, over, it's her birthday. Um, and... Uh, I had to go and get some items for the uh, some food for lunch today because so, we were um, we just had run out of a couple of different items that I had to go and get. And when I went over to the supermarket, um, which is we're quite close by to where we live, we've got a little local shops. If you've heard my episodes before, that's where I do my push bike rides. I did two push bike rides today, and I earned twenty health impact points. They're the clinically validated health impact points that uh, make me not make me, but cause physiological and molecular health adaptations. And as long as I get enough, I know that I got the maximum benefit you possibly can from physical activity. So I did that today, but that's the closest shops. These ones, still close. I could ride there, but if I'm getting a bunch of groceries, I can't ride back. I can only do that at the local shops when I've got a few. But when I go there, I often see people and I make observations and not... No observations about um, appearance or anything like that. But I, I have observations. For example, I saw this family this afternoon. I would estimate maybe so it was husband and wife and a girl, a young girl, teenage girl. She would have been maybe 13. Let's say 13. Husband, probably 45. And the wife, somewhere around that, let's say 40, thereabouts, okay? So that's a typical thing that you'd see in your world, wherever you live. And we've got people on the show, you know, today, uh, in the last few days, we've picked up some brand new countries and locations. And I should um, I should have a look at uh, some of where we are. Well, here we go. Here's some of the countries for the last five episodes. The United States of America, here in Australia, China, Saudi Arabia, Finland, South Korea, Germany. That's just some of the countries in the last five episodes. Those are the ones that have ranked the highest in order of the number of people that listen to them. So if you're listening from any one of those countries, thank you so much. But wherever you are, and I really mean that, like I'm really excited to have you listening and tuning in. Um, But wherever you are, think about this. Let's take, for example, one of those countries. Uh... Saudi Arabia, a place I've never been. I've certainly um, uh, taught some students here in Australia that are from Saudi Arabia. In fact, one boy, he's the nicest boy um, that I I was talking with another teacher the other day about him. And I taught this. He's just a lovely boy. He's in the 10th grade. Just fantastic young man um, for various different reasons. Anyway, um, but let's say you're in Saudi Arabia. You would have to go down the shops. You would have to go and do what I did today, and you might have a, a luncheon on um, with a family member. You might have missing a few items. You might, I would suspect that that's a common thing around the world. You pop down the shops, wherever they are, and 
you know, we could have been doing the same thing on the same day, just on different sides of the world in a different time zone. I don't know what time zone Saudi Arabia has compared to Australia. I should look that up. Um, but when you go and do that, there are people. This is what I looked at when I looked at the, this um, this family today, and I thought to myself that. And I know this is kind of like this is a lot to flash through your mind, <laughs> uh, at, you know, at the uh, at, as you just walk past somebody. But this is literally what um, what it is. Oh, by the way, it's 10 p.m. at night here in Sydney, Australia. It's 2 p.m. right now in Saudi Arabia. So they are eight hours behind. So they could be going to the shops right now <laughs> as I'm recording this episode. If you're listening to this. Um, for all the people that are over there that are listening to this. So I walk past this family and I think to myself as I'm going past that, and these people aren't particularly super overweight or anything like that in, in, that, in that sense of the word. Um, they look normal, but they're not small people. The, the husband was quite a tall man, very solidly built. The wife was, um, like I said, you wouldn't look at people and say, well, they're overweight. But I can make an observation as I pass people, and I do this, um, that would suggest, and I know I'm not being judgmental. You'll get what I mean in just a moment. I would suggest that from a physical activity point of view, they would not be involved on enough physical activity on a seven-day basis, what we call a rolling seven days, to create positive health adaptations that drive down the risk of the number one cause of sickness and death, cardiovascular events. And the reason I say that, they, the, both the husband and wife, in their 40s, much younger than me, move quite slowly. Um, they, the, particularly the husband, he wasn't walking. He might have a physical injury of some kind, I don't know, but he wasn't walking that well. And they were both typical people in their 40s. Here's the problem. A typical person in their 40s has a low active heart fitness score, this brand new breakthrough medical biometric, and, and we've got all about it in our brand new pack um, called the Health Lab. We've got this brand new pack called the Health Lab with a book and a whole bunch of other digital content. You can click on a link inside the show notes and, and, get, a, and get access to that. But um, they, we have a situation where they have a low active heart fitness score. If you do have a low active heart fitness score, there's a linear correlation with your risk of cardiovascular disease. And as I'm talking, I've got my left hand, low active heart fitness score, and I'm holding it low. And I'm holding, this is to give myself descriptions while I'm talking on the podcast, but I've got my right hand high, meaning high risk of a heart attack or stroke. It means it's going to come your way. It means it's going to land on the doorstep of the person who has a low active heart fitness score. Because the linear correlation in between means negative health adaptations, which are precursors to a heart attack or a stroke, like high blood pressure. Every single person over the age of 18 in Australia, 33% of them, one third have got high blood pressure. High blood pressure is a precursor to having a heart attack or a stroke, and you can't feel high blood pressure happening to you. Most people don't even know what theirs is on any given day. And they occasionally, maybe once a year, some of them once a year, go to a doctor and find out once a year. That's not enough. So what my whole premise here is this. I make that observation and I know that the average person, 
who looks what I would call average, not super obese, not the extra large, but people just look normal. But normal in today's world is not physically healthy. If you are classified as physically healthy from an active heart fitness point of view, I won't go through what that is in this episode, but if you get to be qualified and classified, and you don't, by the way, one thing I will say about it is you don't need to be an athlete to be classified as physically healthy from a medical perspective. The average person walking around, forget their appearance, the average person walking around has an active heart fitness score, this is adult, between 18 and about 30 at the top end. Now, for any adult, 30, any adult, male or female, and it changes each, uh, each five years, so in terms of your age, it changes, and your gender, it changes. But any adult with an active heart fitness score of 30 or below, you are fitting into the below average or poor category. Now, like I said, I'm not going to explain how you measure it in here in this episode. It's inside our content we have in the Health Lab Pack. I'm really excited about the Health Lab. It's, it's turned out really beautiful. So we've got the Experts Health Blueprint and the um, Pack, and now we have the Health Lab Pack. There's a, a difference. I won't explain it here, but there is a difference. Anyway, back to the, um, the average active heart fitness score. We, uh, these people today... And I'm really good at doing this. I'm really good at making an assessment, not of appearance, because I don't do that. Because that is judgmental, and it's just it doesn't. That's not helpful in terms of looking at your risk factors. What's helpful is what's your active heart fitness score. It averages between 18 and 30. And I can tell you now, I can pick most a lot of people's. I'm getting in the ballpark of what their active heart fitness score is. I can walk past a person and go, that's maybe a 20. Now, how do I do that? How, like, I haven't done any testing or anything like that. It's based on the norms that go throughout our communities. Your community in Saudi Arabia, your community in Finland, your community in Germany, your community in the United States of America. If you look like a normal adult in their 40s, you, on average, have an active heart fitness score between 18 and 30. 30 is below average. And then down at 25 is poor. And down at 18 is very poor. From a medical health perspective, a risk factor perspective. So that's what the great challenge is. And in fact, Professor Stephen N. Blair, he is an exercise physiologist from the Arnold School of Public Health in South Carolina. In the United States, he's retired now, but he produced the, the what's called the seminal paper that flipped on its head how we should examine people's physical health. And that paper was called The Biggest Public Health Problem of the 21st Century. And, and he pinpointed in that medical paper, and after doing, listen, this is amazing, a 53,000-person study over a 15-year period before he published that research paper that was peer-reviewed and accepted in, in medical journals. The biggest public health problem in the 21st century. And he said it's a low active heart fitness score. The other major five factors that he compared it to don't rank as high, medically speaking, as a low active heart fitness score. It's like saying that that is a trigger mechanism into 
the diseases that you're going to get inside what I call the health, the disease funnel. There is a health funnel, but the disease funnel. So here's what's happened. Those two, that I walked past that family, and I thought, yep, they're probably going to be, at best, low 20s. That's probably where their active heart fitness scores are at. And the teenager, and I can, I've tested thousands of them, active heart fitness schools on teenagers, um, probably somewhere around the 30 mark, maybe 35, but 30 to 35. Now, I could be off slightly, but I, I can tell you now, from all the experience I've had, I wouldn't be off by far. Not by far at all. Now, I'm walking in, I walk past them, and all that flashed. What I just described to you flashed through my mind pretty quick. And then I keep walking, I'm thinking to myself as I go in, and this is the reason I've created the new science of physical health, by the way. I'm thinking to myself as I go in, I want to serve people like that. I want those people to not be, I don't want to not be at risk of a heart attack or a stroke or other end-stage organ failure, blood vessel damage, type 2 diabetes, cardiometabolic diseases, things that threaten their very life or their healthful existence because you can get permanently sick and stay that way. Heart failure, a whole bunch of diseases like um, fibrosis of the heart muscle and a whole bunch, you know, pulse wave velocity problems and you know, um, uh, endothelial dysfunction. These are diseases that you can have and get, and they cause massive problems, massive problems for people. I'm walking past that people, people that family, young family, mid-40s, and the girl's 13, 14, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want one of those parents to die. Women, by the way, have the men, heart attacks around the world and have happened to men and women 50-50. Half of heart attacks and strokes are men, the other half are women. So it's not like only men. It's just that men have it earlier and there's different symptoms for women. So the I don't want to have in 10 years' time, I felt almost painful. When I say painful, I almost felt pain for that couple I saw today because I can tell that their active heart fitness score is going to continue to decline if they stay doing what they're doing. If something doesn't change, what I have labelled their physical health destiny, and my great, the great pain, of course, is that I've had where my father died when I was twenty-two. That girl I saw today was thirteen, and I, I there's reasons that I can estimate, like genuine, valid reasons I estimate that their um, active heart fitness scores were quite low. In, in the poor to very poor category, or certainly below average. And I go, well, that's putting them at risk because I know they haven't got health adaptations, which are getting them out of the disease funnel. They've got negative health adaptations, putting them inside the disease funnel. So that's, I saw them in the car park. By the time I walked in the shops, I started to feel almost a bit of anguish for, I feel like running, I feel like running home or driving back home getting one of my packs and just handing it to them and say, there's digital content inside there, there's physical content inside there, this will change your physical health destiny. And the expert's health blueprint and inside that is the health lab. And I feel like doing that because it's like I know what kind of a health catastrophe millions of people are facing. So I'm, that's what I'm thinking by the time I got to the, to the bill. So I'm in the car park when I meet them and I 
to kind of think to myself about what their active heart fitness score is. I get to the front door of the shops and I'm walking towards the supermarket. By the time I'm in the supermarket, and I'm I'm thinking thinking to myself that here's the question, and that's the question of today's episode that, that I'm thinking to myself. Why is it what is it that stops people like that from by the way, it's not like people like that. The bulk of society. I'll give you my street, for example. My next door neighbor, husband and wife there, they have three children or four? I'm going to think now, four. And three of them are gone and one's at home still, but he's 19, 20. And then husband and wife, exactly the same age as myself and my wife. So I'm 55, he's 55. Does no physical activity. All day at home, sitting down. He's at risk. Got a guy down the road and his wife, they don't have any children. And he has, uh, they walk dogs a lot. But I've got a whole episode in the Daily Drop called Is Walking the Dog Enough to Cause Physical Health? And by, by, it doesn't change your active heart fitness score, by the way. doesn't improve it at all. So I know this guy doesn't do any physical activity. There is one, my next door neighbor on the other side of the house, he's probably in his oh, late 30s. He does do physical activity. I don't know that his wife does, but I know that he does. He runs like a machine. This guy's fantastic. In his late 30s, got a young daughter. But if I was to add up the people just in my own life, I go down to the local shops, like the ones that are close to me. One um, Recently, one of the ladies who works behind the counter in the deli said to me, oh, you're riding your bike again. We're roughly the same age. And she had a conversation where she said she never does any physical activity. None. And I keep thinking to myself, well, that's the bulk of people. It's like... In my community, right, like I know what the data says. The data says that um, 65% of people do zero physical activity who are adults. So your country, my country, that's pretty standard. It might be some variation, but not a huge variation. So I'm thinking to myself, why does, what is it that does, what is it? Sorry, my Apple Watch went off then. It was thinking that I was asking it a question. You might have heard my Apple Watch go off. Um but why is it that the bulk of people community in my community, the ones that I'm just like around where I live, 80% of them, 80%, at least 80%, I know are not doing any physical activity. Now, the real data is lower than that. But the guy down the road who walks his dog, he and his wife both do that. They've got several dogs. They're getting physical activity, but it's nowhere near enough to raise their active heart fitness score. That's the problem because I see them all the time. It's not like they're running with their dogs. That that couple down the road are probably maybe slightly younger than me, maybe early 50s, late 40s, something like that. They are not running. Um, they're just strolling along. And they're not creating enough health adaptations for another episode why that is and what to do about that. So I got this big driving question. Why? Don't the bulk of people complete the correct dose of physical activity in order to drive away their risk from the biggest cause of sickness and death? Why don't they do it? Why do the bulk of people not do it? So here's what I want to explore. I'm not going to, I'm about to finish off this episode because I can see that as I'm recording this, I'm at nearly 20 minutes. So I'm going to finish off this episode, but I'm suggesting to you, and this is where I'll leave it, and we'll pick this up in tomorrow's episode. 
I'm suggesting to you that there are certain educational concepts that they have never come across. They don't sit in a person's mind and they, and they don't sit there in a way where it's a natural part or normal part of your day. I'll give you a perfect example, okay? If I asked you, you're an adult listening to this, and I asked you, if you're over 12 and I asked you, tell me your five times table, six times table, seven times table. If I asked you to do those three things, could you do it? And the answer is almost certainly yes. Could you get every answer right? Most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time we can. Sometimes we forget a few answers. Six sevens, 42. Six eights, 48. Six nines, 54. Sometimes you have to think about a few answers. So most of the time you get it right because that's a language that was a significant part of your education. But what is a language that is not a significant part of your education are what I call the 18 critical diagrams and 18 critical learning skills. So what we did, what I did recently with my team is created something called the health lab inside our pack called the Experts Health Blueprint. And so these 18 critical diagrams are diagrams that I've created after my 34,000 lessons in health and physical education and a decade working with 100 PhDs in medicine and health sciences. I like to break it up sometimes and tell you it's exercise physiologists and cardiologists and cognitive neuroscientists and public health PhDs and so on, but it's medicine and health sciences. I've created it after all of that work, these 18 critical diagrams and 18 critical learning skills that I know if you could roll those off like you could roll off your 12 times table, just three lots of them, five times table, six times table, seven times table. Anybody who's over 12 can roll those off. In any one of the countries, in any one of the 74 countries that listen to this show, people could roll that off in their own, if it's a different language, you can roll it off in a different language and you'll get the answers, you know. Five times 12, 60. You can get the answers. Did I get that right? Yes, I did. Five times 11, 55. You can get the right answers. Is there a set of frameworks for physical health outcomes that every person can use in the same way you can use multiplication timetable? I say no. No, there's not. So here's what we're going to do. I've broken up the um, 18 critical diagrams into six modules. I'll tell you the first three modules, the titles of them now, and then I'll, talk, I'll, I'll tell you the titles of the 18 critical diagrams. And then I'm going to finish. Oh, not 18, sorry. On, on the screen here, I've only got a... Um, I've got... Uh, where are we? I've got nine critical diagrams, so half of them. Well, I'm just going to tell you the first one. I'm going to finish now, and we're going to talk about them tomorrow. So, module number one is Basecamp. Module number two is Frameworks. Module number three is Health Adaptations. I've just got the word adaptations on this diagram. Really cool um, uh, slides that we've created, really cool slides we've created inside our books and so on. So, Basecamp, Frameworks, and Health Adaptations. 
The three critical diagrams inside the health lab are, number one, trap framework. We have an episode on that. The health funnel. We have an episode on that. The disease funnel. We have an episode on that. And there's three critical learning skills off each of them. In tomorrow's episode, I'm going to do a super quick review of an overview of base module number one in the health lab called Basecamp. It's my opinion, this is where I'm finishing today's episode right now, it's my opinion that the average person is not involved in physical activity on a regular basis that drives down their risk of the number one cause of sickness and death and the number two cause of sickness and death, cardiovascular and cancer events, because they don't have the same set of learning skills or critical diagrams in their head for physical health like they do for mathematics. Well, that's what we want to change. So let's start changing in tomorrow's episode, shall we? And then you can start sharing this episode, which is a precursor to tomorrow's one, where we start diving into the health lab and the first of 18 critical diagrams. We're going to look at three in an overview perspective only. All right, everybody, thanks for letting me share with you again in today's episode. Uh, I'll tell you now, the health lab that I've created and the 18 critical diagrams and the 18 critical learning skills, I am excited about narrowing it down, all the work of the new science of physical health, into these 18 different scenarios. Share with you tomorrow. Thanks for joining me. Bye for now.